Seinfeld, the chaperone is over, but we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap here on postshowrecaps.com, a podcast about nothing. And now here are the two guys who always have grace and poise. I'm Rob Cicerino. Here's Akiva Winokur. Oh, you stole mine for the third straight week. Yeah. Why, you have poise? Neither of us have grace. Fine. So neither of us are wearing polyester. (laughs) Yes. Neither of us are wearing polyester. We have a little bit of grace or no grace? You can't have a little bit of grace. It's either full grace or no grace. (laughs) You never go half grace. Uh, Can you have a little bit of poise? Oh, yeah. You could have any amount of poise from zero to 100. Yeah. And so, Akivo, here we are. Season six. Can you believe it? I can believe it because we were up to season five last week and we finished it. Now we're up to season six. Yeah, we did not take a break. We did not stop. And here we are ready to talk about the first episode of season six of Seinfeld, The Chaperone, getting off to a great start in season six. Uh, Yeah. And uh, I I calculated uh, that we are just a year and seven months away from finishing. I think August 30th of 2017. That's the date. (laughs) Mark it on the calendar. If we never miss a week like we haven't missed in a very long time. Yeah. Then I believe I could be off by one week, but I believe August 30th, 2017. All right. That's our, that's our tight, you know, expected finish date. So is it a bad idea? Then we then we're releasing your top 10 episode podcast Labor Day weekend 2017. That feels like bad planning. Well, we don't have to we don't have to do a top 10 episode. Uh, I mean, are we really going to like get into uh, do you have any what? What were you planning on doing Labor Day 2017? Oh, well, I have to check my calendar. Who are the Jets playing that weekend? <laughs> no, by the 2017, they're pushing the NFL schedule back two weeks to get to where the Super Bowl is on President's Day weekend. Oh, okay. So then who the, the Mets, like a, uh, that Wednesday, I'm going to say the Mets are probably playing a divisional team in September. Probably a Mets Nationals game. Probably. Mets we don't are, want to go head to head with that. Yeah, we're trying to get the number one draft pick in baseball. Oh, boy. Yeah. 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 Once Dip Podesta leaves, it's all over. It's all over. It's all over. All downhills. Well, we have to become Cleveland Browns fans. Okay. So, Akiva, let's get into this because uh, we're so excited to be here in uh, season six. Anything from season five that you've thought about since we wrapped up? Well, I think, you know, it's worth discussing season five as a whole for a second. After season four, you know, and we had sort of briefly mentioned uh, season rankings after each season. And I think we were both in unison that our rankings through four seasons were season four is the best followed by three followed by two and then one in in inverse order correct yes so now now that we've seen season five as a whole you know we ended on such a strong note with the fire and the uh the hamptons and the opposite i'm curious to hear and i'll I'll, i guess i'll say myself also what do you have ranked higher season four or season five It's hard because I feel like season four had the higher highs, but I feel like season five was probably more consistent. Right. There are very few duds in season five. I mean, you could argue, you know, the marine biologist and, and the, the if three meant the uh, final three episodes of season five that I just mentioned, like the Hamptons, the opposite, uh, the nonfat yogurt, things like that. Like it, it gets pretty high. But yeah, there is no contest, maybe, or there's no Bubble Boy, which you didn't even like so much anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but season four has an has a, as a uh, through line, you know, the strongest through line of any season, of course, the, the pilot pitch. So as a complete thing, it's hard to argue with season four against any season. But, you know, adding the 22 episodes together and then averaging them out in your head if you're a nerd like me or something like that. I feel like there's a lot of peaks and valleys in season four, and I feel like season five is probably a little more consistent all the way through. Yeah, there's no smelly car. There's no the old people, old man. <laughs> the old man, right. 
Um, yeah, so I, I will put uh, season five ahead of season four, but not by much. Okay. Look at you. Hot take Akiva. It's not so hot. I mean, uh, you know, season five is great. Okay. Before we get into season six, do you have any news you want to talk about this week? Sure. I feel like we got sent this by a bunch of people. Uh, everyone was all excited in uh, Melbourne, Australia. You know, one of the great uh, cities in the world. Definitely top thousand. Mm-hmm. They uh, opened up and it, timing couldn't be better. Uh, a fellow decided to open up a bar themed after George Costanza. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The opposite bar. Uh, and the bar features uh, autographed items. There's a lot of, I saw a brief video online. There's a lot of, uh, you know, sort of like uh, headshots of George and the, the cocktail menu stuff. There's a lot of jokes about Seinfeld. Nothing, nothing really that clever. But um, you could probably do the opposite where, like, you ask for, you know, like a martini and they give you, you know, something that's non-alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know. But, they, you know, they, they have the Art Vandalay. They have the mom and pop. Uh, and uh, I don't know. It just I, I guess if you're not going to have any theme on your bar, it doesn't hurt to have a theme. Like, no one's going to not come because there's a Costanza theme, right? Yeah, I feel like that most people probably just won't know where it is. Whereas by doing it, come August 30th, 2017, we'll be doing the final episode talking about the finale live from the George Costanza bar. Oh, man. <laughs> That'll be that. Uh, I sense a Kickstarter coming. <laughs> Forget raising money for charity. We are no. now raising money for the Seinfeld podcast wrap up party at yeah, the george costanza it, bar dan's gonna have to re-divert you know he's gonna have to divert all that money we're gonna have to do some five-hour episodes just to pay for this trip <laughs> yeah well, that's great what's the name of the bar uh it's called george's bar okay eh, feel like that's not great what was <laughs> we didn't get to it but when uh frank costanza gets the pool table what does he want to call that the place to be yeah, I, that, the problem is you're not going to get like you need. You think they're trying to attract only hardcore Seinfeld <laughs> fans? I think you need to bring in the casuals in Melbourne, Australia. I don't know how many. Again, I think it's the kind of inside joke where if is George's bar bringing in the casuals? I feel like that. Why not give it a name that at least is an inside joke? I guess. I mean, but you want like now they're getting buzz. Like they, they couldn't have bought this publicity. You know, they're getting you know reports about them in. Uh, you know, all over the world. I don't know if anyone's going to fly to Australia just for this bar, but I'm sure people who are on vacation or people who live, you know, in I don't think I think it's hard to get from like one place in Australia to another. I don't know if you could just go from like Sydney to Melbourne. Yeah, it's Mecca. It, we'll go there one day. <laughs> You've never been to Australia, right? <laughs> I have not. I have not. That'll be our right, big. So we, it'll be like uh, the backwards episode. That'll be our big our big trip. So the pot, it will start in Australia and we'll end off back in our in our rooms again. <laughs> yes. Yes perfect okay so any other news before we jump into season six uh no but i would like you know if we have we have we have a lot of australian listeners like uh, our medical correspondent i think louise uh so if anyone would uh you know if they are around there we would love a uh, a report what you know what else is going on at this bar i did read somewhere else that they're talking about getting a uh frogger machine uh you know being put in but it's not there yet okay wow they're really going for it i mean the thing about these bars is even if it's like, even if it works, don't these places close 90% of the time within a year? Yeah, it's a little bit of like the uh, Babu Bot type deal. Did you, you never like, you never had like a drunken night and you're like, hey, let's go in and, you know, make a bar together. No, I, I feel like where I can look at things, like a lot of people like look at different jobs, like, oh, that's easy. I could do that. I look at things, I say, I, I bet that's really hard. And I think that the restaurant industry is like the classic one where people are like, oh, I'll open a restaurant. I'll be like Artie Bucco and it'll be great. 
And you don't realize just how hard that is to own any sort of like restaurant bar establishment. Yeah, I would extend that to any business idea. Like any of my friends have a business idea and I'm like, oh man, that's too bad. That's not going to work. Yeah. I would have been like yelling in Steve Jobs' ear in 1982. Like, we can't do it. company for 1500 bucks, man. <laughs> yeah. That's a ticket to Australia. I can barely run a podcast and uh, that I'm really just, just barely getting by with uh, like uh, and not pulling my hair out. Yeah, I'm, I, I never had any desire to own any society. <laughs> the only positive is you get to eat for free. That sort of is, you know, like, yeah, th- that would entice me in. But I don't know. All right. Are you ready to talk about the chaperone? Let's do it. All right. Let's jump into September of 1994. And uh, we're going to be talking about the first episode, episode number 87 of Seinfeld. And we start off with Jerry talking about the use of baseball metaphors to describe anything romantic. Yeah. And this is I mean, obviously, this has been played out many times since then. But I don't know how it started. I'd be curious to see like the etymology of all these you know, metaphors like had it first base, second base, that sort of thing. Like who invented that? Was it? (laughs) Was it Nelson Doubleday? I mean, Al- Abner Doubleday? <laughs> well, there is the Doubleday Publishing Company in this episode. So maybe that is a, a tip of the cap to the Doubleday family. Uh, now we got some making a murder stuff in here. It's <laughs> like there, if you connect the dots, it goes all the way to the top. Yeah. So we don't really know exactly how that happened. Like, was there some sport that it was before baseball or when baseball had like really wacky rules, or like four strikes? Was it like different? Do they have to update all that stuff? With, what would change if, if like, let's say, we used football analogies instead. Like, hey, I got a first down last night. You got a first down, and then I guess the, what, the second base equivalent would be what? I feel like it probably like basketball. Field goal, is, maybe? I kicked a field goal last night. I feel like there's such a... Uh, field goal does not seem very good. I mean, the two-point conversion seems like something. That oh, seems, a two-point conversion, something very good happened. Yeah, something very good happened. But I feel like b- basketball, you could say like, oh, I got you know a triple-double... I feel like that it's probably a little more like conducive to like personal statistics. Yeah, I feel like soccer. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. You're either scoring or you're not scoring. <laughs> yeah, because I think baseball, for the same reason why it works so well from a sabermetician's perspective, I think it's like you have this isolated thing where you are in the batter's box. Each batter has like a stat line, and this batter went two for four. I think it probably relates to how guys might talk about their sex life and the stats and stuff like that. Whereas Football is more of a team sport, and so it's sort of like a team goal, which is probably not as ideal and as conducive to metaphor as the individual in the batter's box. Oh, yeah, really? You really, I think you had thought this one out, but that's impressive. Although I was thinking with the soccer, my my soccer point, I would, you know, a red card would be very bad. You would never want to get a red card. (laughs) You would not want to get a red card. Jerry also says that there should be fatter umpires. Fatter the better because he wants them to be as unathletic as possible. Is that what you would like to see also? Well, I, it's funny because at the time he says this, and this episode was what, September of 1994? Right. Uh, there was some, if you remember, like incredibly obese umpires. Well, isn't this strike happening right now? Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying like in the league at that point in the mid-90s. Yeah, at this point there's no baseball, correct, in mm-hmm. September 94. But... The umpires were really fat, but then I remember opening day, I was in eighth grade. So in 1996, uh, an umpire who was very overweight had a heart attack and died on the field. Yeah. So now umpires are, are like in shape because, you know, it's a, they're a big liability. Yeah. So we good. Everybody should try to, you know, get down to a more manageable weight. That's a good goal for everybody in 2016 and 1994. What are you trying to tell me? 
I'm saying it's a new year. Do you have any New Year's resolutions that you're trying to do? Hmm. Yeah. More TV. I got to watch more TV. TV. Good. Good. Spend Uh, some time with my family. All right. So even though the baseball strike is raging on, there is no baseball in September of 1994, specifically no baseball on September 22nd, 1994, uh, when this episode aired. Here is George Costanza in his job with the Yankees. So does Seinfeld take place in a parallel or alternate universe to our own? Yeah, no, because they film this. The strike hasn't happened yet. They probably filmed this in like early August. Yeah. And so they still have because they film these scenes when the Yankee players and the manager comes out to uh, Anaheim for a series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then this, then the, uh, the league gets shut down, I think, like 10 days later or something. Yeah. You know, a lot of times they're what they're up to is just like in the trip where it's still summer in the first two episodes because they're kind of filming it maybe while Julia is giving birth or, you know, before she gives birth. So it's still like May to them or it's still June to them here. I I think that we're not in and I don't know when the Miss Universe pageant is, but like I think we're in August in the fake world of Seinfeld in this episode. If they only knew they could have done some sort of a storyline where it's like, you know, Donald Fear is going to about to like and Bud Seeliger sit down and they have like some sort of a truce. And then George Costanza walks in and sort of upsets the whole apple cart and they could blame the whole baseball strike on George Costanza. Yeah, it would have been really funny. And these guys had nothing better to do, especially the players. So. They could have really gone to that well more, but they didn't. Right. Like maybe George Costanza is like getting in Steinbrenner's ear like, uh, are you going to let Donald fear? Hey, you know, do the league, do the owners, screw the owners over like that? Like, uh, you're right, Costanza, let me get him back on the phone. And then they get a whole thing going. <laughs> or or he or even if they like tied into this, like he makes, you know, they, they will not sign the agreement. Until, uh, you know, they they agree to have cotton uniforms. Right. There's some concession that George demands gets put into the collective bargaining agreement. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, uh, George is with Danny Tartable. Wow. What's Danny Tartable up to? Yeah, I don't even I was like almost nervous to Google it because it might be not good. I don't know. With the former Yankees, you're either on the Yes Network or and that's like half of them or you're not doing great. Yeah. So Danny Tartable, part of an era gone by with the New York Yankees, and George is trying to help him with his swing. All right. So uh, Danny Tartable's uh, Wikipedia, like I I predicted, because I thought I I remembered some sort of bad news. Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) Not not a fun fact for Danny Tartable, right? No, no. Well, he's still with us. Uh, His Wikipedia ends thusly. Tartable is currently a fugitive from justice. Oh, no. What did he do? A warrant was issued for his arrest on um, May 12th, 2012, after he failed to appear for, an, a, for a 180-day jail sentence. He's been named the top deadbeat dad in Los Angeles. Rob, you're not number one. That's good. <laughs> after allegedly failing to pay more than $275,000 in child support for his two sons. Hmm. And, but there's nothing after that. So I do. And that article is from 2013. So. I do wonder, you know, is Danny Tartable on the run right now? Oh, wow. Serial season three. Here we come. The Danny Tartable case. That would be great. Like, uh, OK, we speak next to uh, I was going to say Hideki Urabu, but I think he's passed. No, <laughs> <laughs> the fat toad. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Hideki Matsui, maybe. Although I don't think they overlapped. There's nothing on Tartable past uh, 2013. Wow. Danny Tartable in 1996 had over 100 RBI, but then he vanished just as quickly as his career did in 1997. Where is Danny Tartable? Uh, boy, this would be fantastic. 
It would be good. I mean, I feel like Sarah Koenig is not a big uh, baseball fan. <laughs> it's going to be a hard sell for her. Yeah. That would be cool to like find some guy who, you know. Yeah. All right. What if we start a new podcast? Uh, sports cereal. It's not a bad idea. What, <laughs> are there other stories besides Danny Tartable that we could do? Oh, I'm sure there's a lot. Gotta be. I mean, my favorite one, but I think it just ended was like the guys who got the, you know, when when the ABA merged with the NBA, mm-hmm. and then like instead of, but they didn't, they couldn't afford like have new teams. They said, oh, we're just going to give you like a percentage of the television deal in perpetuity. Yeah. So like those guys, I think they may have just settled after like twenty five years, like last year. But those guys were just getting like to literally do nothing. They were getting a check for like forty million dollars every year. Wow. I would want to talk to those guys. <laughs> All right, well, let's get back to Danny Tartable because as George is talking to him, like Danny Tartable has like uh, the sweats going on. He's like, I know it's supposed to be that he's hot, but uh, he's like uh, totally overheating. It looks like he could be on something. It is the mid 90s. Yeah, I mean, you know, who knows what Tartable was up Hammer time. Maybe that's why he owes so much money now. But I think, I, I, I think, um, you know, he's, he's, not, he's not Paul O'Neill in terms of his acting ability, Tartable. Yeah. He's, really, he, he's really interested in what George has to say, though. He's giving George his, uh, his shake here. Yeah, and so he listens to George about the swing, but he says that the uniform is very hot. Danny Tartable thinks the uniform is made out of cotton, but George sees that it's polyester. They make leisure suits out of this. He's going to say something to Buck. I forgot how big of a part Buck Showalter plays in this episode. Yeah, it's funny because other than Tartable, like a lot of the guys that we see... Um, in the next couple seasons that George deals with on the Yankees, they're still very much uh, in baseball. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Buck Showalter. And, you know, I remember when Buck Showalter first went to Arizona, like that he was like very involved with like every aspect of the team. So in hindsight, I feel like this is very believable that Buck Showalter might really start to get involved with this. Yeah, I mean, this is a good point. If we had cooler uniforms, cooler temperature wise, then we might play better on the field. Yeah, in general, the idea of like talking to the manager about, the uniforms, that's probably not like the guy to go to. There's usually an equipment manager. The general manager would certainly have more to do with this. You know, I guess if Buck is hands on. By the way, Buck Showalter, not even 60 years old now. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, who knew who's so young? Good for Buck. Uh, could you imagine somebody going to Terry Collins about this? I mean, <laughs> Terry Collins is the hired help. Like, <laughs> he's lucky he gets a uniform. He would not have any authority. To be making a change to the uniforms. Okay, so uh, we see Jerry and Elaine in the stands at the baseball game. And I thought this was an interesting callback here that they're in the stands. And I don't know if they're sitting in the owner's box or what. But Elaine is back to wearing her Orioles hat. And nobody gives her a problem this time around. Yeah, are we to believe that they get these seats because they're friends with the assistant to the traveling secretary? So they sit in the second row. I think so. Across the ro- from Mr. Island. <laughs> I believe that's what we are led to believe. Why you feel like that's pretty implausible? I mean, I, for whatever reason, he seems to run the organization for you know a lot of his tenure uh, with the Yankees. Like it's basically George, the, the general manager, George Steinbrenner, then the general manager, then George Costanza. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like there's right now. I feel like that George is like fourth or fifth in the line of succession to run the Yankees, even though he's just the assistant to the traveling secretary. Yeah, he's not even the traveling secretary. Right. Do we ever meet who the traveling secretary is? No, we don't know who the traveling secretary is. <laughs> but he's that person's assistant. By the way, he's not even the assistant traveling secretary. He's the assistant two. It's like Elaine. Like he's the, he's right. He's, her, he's that guy's Mr. Pitt. You know. Like, <laughs> So we are starting to hear more and more about Elaine and how down and out she is. She still hasn't found a job over the summer since the season five finale uh, when Pendant Publishing went under. 
And so she is going to go on to interview at a company that Jackie Onassis has left. That was an editor and she's going to be an editor there potentially and take over for Jackie. Oh, that seems like another weird line of succession, right? It is weird. Um, Again, this is like a real thing that happened, right? She had just passed Jackie O and she was an editor. So and, you know, Elaine, of course, has this uh, Kennedy obsession, which comes up many times throughout the series. So this is sort of like a real job at a real company in this fake world. Ironically, though, Elaine, even though she had this fling with John F. Kennedy Jr., seems to be sort of like um, indifferent to Jackie Onassis. It's almost like the person that she's interviewing with is like super into Jackie O. Mr. Pitt is super into Jackie O. Elaine is just sort of like, yeah, I guess she's okay. Yeah, I mean, she's like playing it down a little bit here, Mm -hmm. you know, just because she's being so goofy. So I I don't know if I I, I do think she is a Jackie O fan. All right. So Elaine goes off to go check her machine. Uh, Meanwhile, the Miss America contestants come in and they sort of announce them. Now, is that the real Bob Shepard who's doing the announcement here? I'm not sure. Is it a little Larry David, Larry Davidish? I think Bob Shepard. I don't know. That's an interesting. Could you get Shepard then? I'm not sure if you could get Shepard. You could get him. He used to do the Giants games also. Yeah. You know, he would he would do whatever you want him, I guess. (laughs) Within reason. Within reason. And so. He announces that there's going to be these uh, Miss America contestants. And then uh, Jerry is talking to uh, Miss Rhode Island, having a little bit of a meet cute with Miss Rhode Island. Yeah, these are pretty uh, fortuitous seats that they're just across. What a, what a uh, motley collection of states also. We got <laughs> Connecticut, Rhode Island, and North Dakota. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those were the three that were at the game that day. I feel like none of them are contenders, really. Yeah, Kramer is right on the money that they're not really in the mix. Uh, we don't have a, a Miss Philippines in the bunch. Lots of Miss Columbia's out there. What, what are the states that usually win these things? I've never watched one. Oh, I have no idea. I assume it's the bigger states. I assume it's like New York, California, Florida, Texas. Um, you would think so, but I feel like that there's probably some upsets in there. I don't think it's always one of those. Wh- which state is the Gonzaga? Which state is like pulling above its weight? <laughs> Upset special? Yeah. I don't know. We'd have to look into this. I feel like I feel like that Johnny De Silvera is going to have an email for us in the next week with this information. No question. <laughs> I th- I'm going to I'm going to predict though I think South Carolina is like pulling above their weight. Yeah. I don't know. All right. So then uh, Jerry talks to them and he says that he was almost Mr. Coffee. Ironically, uh Joe DiMaggio was a pitch man for Mr. Coffee. We're at a Yankee game. We've established that already in Seinfeld canon. Uh, no mention of Joe D. Uh, no mention of Joe D here. Or the Mick. <laughs> or the Mick. And and we don't have Jeter yet. We have not been introduced to Derek Jeter. No, he hasn't uh, made his major league debut. Unless they go to like Triple uh, A Scranton, right? Uh, yeah, I, I do think well, he was probably yeah, we might have to skip the Jeter episode. <laughs> I'm going to say some things that that are going to get deleted. Yeah, Derek Jeter is probably not even at Triple uh, A Scranton uh, at this point in time. Did you read the New York Times article about Derek Jeter today? Was he doing uh, HGH with Peyton Manning? Oh boy, it gave me great, uh, great. Uh, you know, it was it was the highlight of my sports week. Put it that way. I'll take a look at that. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, Jerry and George are talking back at Jerry's apartment and uh, Jerry's sort of bragging about how he is uh, picking up uh, Miss Rhode Island. He could be dating Miss America. I feel like that Jerry comes across as pretty lascivious in this episode. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I do like the idea of like buying low like this. She's like an underdog and I'm going to be there now. Um, you know, you'll see, you do see that in sports sometimes where like, uh, you know, this person or, or just in life, like, you know, I was with him when I was in high school and like this, you know, I would never be able to get this guy now that he's like, you know, the third best player in the NFL. But, 
you know, I just put my stamp on it when we were 14. Yeah. I mean, Jerry seems to have absolutely no interest in her as a person. It really is almost just like a trophy for Jerry that he is going on a date with Miss Rhode Island. And potentially he could be saying he's dating Miss America. Yeah, it's maybe like a career. He's like acting very Kardashian here. It's right. like he's, he's hoping for a career bump. He barely cares when Kramer like completely takes over the date. And I don't even feel like it's a career thing. I feel like it's more of a, you know, ego ego thing. Right. Of like, hey, it's like I'm hooking up with Miss America. Yeah. I mean, listen, good for him, though, if he could land Miss America. <laughs> so the problem for Jerry is that she has to go out with a chaperone. And then ultimately, uh, we're going to find out that the chaperone can't make it uh, and will need a replacement chaperone. More on that to come. George mentions to Jerry while he's on the phone talking to Miss Rhode Island that, hey, do you know that the Yankees don't wear cotton uniforms? Who knew? Yeah, he's going to do something about it. (laughs) Jerry gives him a great look while he's on the phone. So Elaine goes to her interview at Doubleday and she's meeting with the woman in charge of hiring. And she is talking about how Jackie O had so much grace and Elaine sort of playing along. And the woman it just ultimately just gets on Elaine's nerves with all this grace talk. And then Elaine seems like she just throws in the towel here. Yeah, she really basically says, I mean, I don't, have you ever had like a disastrous interview before? Oh, many, Akiva. That you knew in the middle, like, oh, I'm not getting this job. Most of them. Yeah. I'm trying to think of my my worst. I, you know, I, the school I was at closed uh, teaching. And I sort of had to scramble because we didn't find that, fa- you know, when you're a teacher and you're decent, you want to look for a job if you want to switch schools or something, you know, in, in the spring. Mm-hmm. But we found that so late the school was closing, I was scrambling. So already like the, you know, the jobs are limited. And, uh, you know, and so I, I, I got one fantastic interview, a job I should have. I shouldn't have even gotten the interview. And uh, I got there like 20 minutes late. Yeah, and I'm never late, but I, I forget what happened. But it was just like an accident on the. George Washington Bridge or something. And I, I got there like 20 minutes. Like, so I'm already like out. There's no way they're giving this idiot. And then like you're late. So you're like running in. So you're like all sweaty and disgusting. <laughs> like Danny Tartable. Exactly. I, I, I looked uh, Tartable-esque. I think the principal even said that to me. And we have the uh, leader in the clubhouse for the hashtag right now. <laughs> I, I, uh, so I, I, you know, it was me and the principal and some other uh, maybe assistant principal. And, you know, I had all my stuff, but it was such a waste of my time. And I know... And you can tell because he's like looking at his watch and the interview was probably supposed to be a half hour, but it was like seven minutes. Mm-hmm. And like I wanted to, you know, I wanted to pull the Elaine and say like I didn't get it, but you don't want to put, there's no reason to put him in an awkward spot. Like, you know, his only mistake was granting me the interview. Yeah. So, and he kind of liked me, but he, then he, he, so you, I got, by the time I got home, I had an email that said, uh, you know, thanks for coming in, but we're going to go with a substantially more uh, experienced candidate. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, oh, it would have been a disaster for them to hire me. Mm-hmm. I would have brought down the whole school. All right, so then we see Elaine that she sort of like realizes that she's not going to get it after this whole Grace conversation. She says to the woman, I have no chance, right? Uh, she says, no. So then we find out here comes Mr. Pitt. Uh, he is described as Justin Pitt. He was, I guess, a close friend of Jackie O. What was the relationship between Mr. Pitt and Jackie O? Well, I think he was her boss, no? He was Jackie O's boss? No, I mean, I, I guess not. I don't know. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure. It's a good question. He seems like he was just more of a Kennedy fanboy. Like, he had, like, a crush on Jackie O, and he was, like, obsessed with her. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, that's a good question. I don't know. But, the, the, you know, just talking in, uh, you know, general uh, ideas about Mr. Pitt, he is sort of the pilot of this season in the sense that, like, the Mr. Pitt storyline starts and ends, 
you know, with season six, he's really a through line throughout season six. Yes, he is the pilot, not as in the person who flies the plane, but as in the MacGuffin for the entire season. Oh, yeah. He's not like Sully Sullenberger. <laughs> that would be great if he was. By the way, not a Justin. He doesn't look like a Justin. No, all. he does not. I don't even think Justin was a name when he was give, you know, given it. <laughs> Maybe it's short for something. Justinathan? <laughs> Justinathan. But Mr. Pitt comes up, and this is very quick thinking on Elaine's part. If you would believe that it was calculated, Elaine ends up like donning like a Jackie O costume here. Is this a coincidence or was this calculated? It's hard to say. Like Elaine doesn't even seem motivated enough to get the job that she would have uh, really tried hard, you know, but maybe it's like, oh, I'm going there to get Jackie O's job. It would be funny if I dressed like her. <laughs> because I don't think she was wearing the Jackie O costume to come in. But then once she hears that Mr. Pitt is coming up, she puts on the Jackie O costume. And it's almost like I feel like it makes more sense if it was just a coincidence. But it doesn't seem like it could possibly have been a coincidence. I mean, I feel like at, at best she's just doing a bit where she's, you know, like it would be funny to dress like Jackie O to take her job. I mean, there's no reason to think that this would work. I mean, this is the dialogue that comes up before this, where the woman who's uh, named Landis uh, that she gets the intercom buzzed up to her and says, Justin Pitt is here to see you. And Elaine says, Justin Pitt? And uh, Landis says, he was a close friend of Mrs. Onassis's. And Elaine says, Mrs. Onassis's, that's hard to pronounce. And Landis says, uh, excuse me? And then Mr. Pitt walks in, and then Elaine all of a sudden is there in the disguise of Jackie O. So I almost feel like it was unintentional, like, it seems way too calculated and fast for Elaine to put together, oh, he was a close friend of Jackie O. Let me put my possessions together and try to dress up like Jackie O. Yeah, no, she's not that calculated. She's no Aziz Ansari. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> very, a very hot take from Akiva again. So we then see, uh, go back to Jerry and George. And Jerry, again, is trying to make small talk with Miss Rhode Island on the phone. Don't be too congenial. And you will get slapped with miscongeniality, but they can't go out because there is no chaperone. So Kramer walks in and Jerry wants to know if Kramer can be the chaperone. Now, I get the idea of you need a chaperone for whatever, like the week like leading up to the Miss America competition. But you could just get any chaperone. I mean, I feel like that this seems like it's a little bit of a wonky system, right? Doesn't make any sense because under this. Uh, under this logic, Jerry could be her chaperone. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like, oh, she wanted to go out to dinner. Oh, Jerry's got to take her. Yeah. Like, it doesn't doesn't make any sense at all. Like, why, you know, you can hire your own chaperone? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's sort of like, you know, you have, like, these witnesses for, like, signing a contract, and you just make it be anybody. Yeah, I don't know. And is this the thing? Like, did they invent the idea of a, of a, of a pageant chaperone? I feel like it has to be a real thing. I feel like that's too weird that they ended up with just, like, inventing this for this. Yeah, I agree. But I, I imagine that they provide their own chaperone and that not all 50, uh, you know, contestants get their own limousine. But not for anything. What are they worried about? Like, are they worried about the safety of the women that they're going to be like lascivious guys like Jerry, like trying to date them once like the days before the competition? Or are they worried about like that they're going to get kidnapped so they as some, some, somebody could like subvert the competition? Or are they worried about like them being handed off like some performance enhancing drugs like Peyton Manning? 
and Derek Jeter. What, what allegedly? What are they? What are they worried about? I I just think they don't want them out, like you know, pulling a Johnny Manziel. They want someone to babysit them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it would look really bad for the Miss America pageant if they found them like in a wig, like partying uh, in Atlantic City somewhere before, when they're not supposed to be there. Yeah, that's bad press. You don't want that the day before the pageant. You don't want that sort of press. All right. So the, Jerry says, "Hey Kramer, would you be the chaperone?" And Kramer, it turns out, is very into Miss America pageants. He wants to know what state is the woman from. Jerry says Rhode Island and Kramer says, oh, they're never in contention. Yeah, he's like a pageant super fan, Kramer. He really is. And so Jerry says, I'll buy you dinner and that gets Kramer to be in on it, which I feel like uh, for Kramer, we go back and forth on to whether Kramer has money or not. Uh, in this case, it does seem like that he's pretty desperate for a meal. Yeah, but I, I also think he likes deals. You know, he, he likes gaming the system. So that might be it here. Okay. So Mr. Pitt, takes a lane to monks. To me, I felt like this seems pretty incredulous that Mr. Pitt would meet Elaine and then want to take her somewhere and doesn't go to like some fancy country club, takes her to monks. Yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah. Unless Elaine picked the place. Just yeah, he make- said like, oh, I'll take you out. This is your, you know, hiring party. I'll take you wherever you want to go. She's like, let's go to the place I go to every day. That's gross. <laughs> okay. And so Mr. Pitt really is like going on and on about how uncanny it is, the resemblance of Elaine to Jackie O. But Elaine is sort of like playing it like totally goofy. If Elaine was trying to come off as Jackie O, don't you think she could have done a better acting job than acting like a real goof in this scene? Yeah, but I think what happens is she knows Pitt is like senile at this point already. And she's like, oh, he just thinks that like, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to stick with what got me the job at the interview, which is just hold on a second. What what is she, the mentalist that she can completely size up Mr. Pitt and and is like has this whole long con working from the moment she meets him? Uh, She is Simon Baker from the mentalist. Correct. (laughs) Turn out to me. Nice. That's right. I think um, not that she knows, but I feel like he's so goofy. That he liked, you know, this, you know, and she was acting so bizarre at what she's like George in the opposite at this point. I think you are doing some fan fiction here with Elaine, because (laughs) I think the only way that this makes any sense is that Elaine accidentally looks like Jackie Onassis to Mr. Pitt, who is senile. And then Elaine is not playing into the Jackie Onassis thing at all here. And it just doesn't know what to do is just coming off like a goof by comparison. I don't think there's any ill intention on Elaine's part in either scenario. Okay. I think she's sort of like lucks into this job. I mean, I can't believe that she's because she doesn't talk about how she's like, okay, I got this guy thinking I'm like a Jackie O impersonator and I've got to keep this up for years now. Can we talk about how she just got this big promotion at like a fancy company? I know the company went, you know, uh, bust in the last episode but she's gonna just take a jo- the first job that gets offered to her as a personal assistant mm-hmm. instead of like one of the higher ups in a, in a big company well the money was the same the money is the same which i think they make a point because i'm sure the vice president of common sense on set probably says to them like no she's not taking this personal assistant job so they go out of their way to say that it's the, what the like but what do you do after that like you can't put this on your resume i think that what they're trying to go for here is that elaine kind of like george is pretty lazy and that she thinks that this is going to be easy money. She'll make the same amount as she was at Pendant in a more respectable position that was probably 
closer to what she wanted to do with her life. And then the first time that she really has to put her nose to the grindstone and go out there and hustle, she gets the opportunity to keep the same lifestyle that she's been accustomed to and have what should be on paper an easier job. And she's just like, ah, whatever. I mean, that makes sense, right? She's getting the same amount of money to do a job that she thinks might be a joke. Yeah, I think this happens to a lot of people. I think that people like go to school for a certain thing and then it's like, okay, well, this job is here. Let me just go out and do it. Sure, but she's already like in the world. Like, it's not like she's been interviewing. Maybe she has been interviewing for months. You know, we haven't seen her. Well, she mentions that she's just going to take this job for now and then she can go out and still look for other publishing jobs. So maybe it's like the rent is due. And so for Elaine, she doesn't want to look this gift horse in the mouth. Okay. So I can't knock it too much. No, I mean, a job's a job in this economy. Yeah. What about the 1994 economy? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Believe are we still in the recession? Coming out of the recession? I mean, this is is pre-tech boom. So I I think things are going okay. But I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't know if people are, you know, making it rain on the streets. (laughs) Okay. So Elaine is going to go be uh, Mr. Pitt's personal assistant. So we see George with Buck Showalter. And uh, Buck Showalter mentions everything's going pretty good, except for all of a sudden uh, Danny Tartable's swing is messed up. I mean, George has really ingratiated himself with the entire organization at this point. I like how George is like uh, really acting very conspiratorial with Buck Showalter. Like, you know, I've been talking with some of the guys and uh, you know, I'm not going to say and name any names, but uh, you know, a couple of the guys have been talking about how hot the uniforms are. They'd prefer cotton. Uh, wouldn't they be happier with the cotton uniforms? And uh, Buck Showalter actually does give this some consideration. Yeah, listen, when the assistant to the traveling secretary speaks, you basically have to do what they say. Right. So Elaine is back at Jerry's apartment and Elaine mentions about how that she's going to be the assistant for Mr. Pitt and she's going to still look for a job in publishing and she has to go and she's kind of sheepish about this. Look for new socks with Mr. Pitt. Yeah, it sounded like a fun idea, but, you know, already going sock shopping on day one doesn't sound too exciting. Not too exciting. So here comes Kramer and then Jerry sort of like letting Kramer in on the plan of, hey, we're going to go out to dinner and then you can sort of recede off into the night. And Kramer puts his foot down like, hey, I'm not going to let you just go out and defile this woman. Now, Jerry does not really fight this accusation. He's not saying, whoa, 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 Kramer, I'm just trying to get to know her. I think she's a really awesome person. And I'd love to sort of just meet her and go on a couple of dates and see where this goes. No, he's not denying that he wants to defile. He's just denying that Kramer. He's just you know arguing that Kramer shouldn't have a problem with it. Yeah. And so Kramer says, hey, if you're looking for something more than that, you've got the wrong guy as the chaperone. It's like, he, you know, he's the president and he hired this guy. He's like, oh, you'll be in charge of the IRS. Don't come after me. Mm-hmm. And the first person gets audited. Right. Right. It's like a, a whole like a high sparrow type deal. Uh, uh, Jack Sparrow. <laughs> are you I forget, Are you into the Game of Thrones? You follow the Game of Thrones? Oh, yeah. yeah yes, I do. Yeah. Okay. okay. So then we see Kramer and Jerry out to dinner with the woman and Jerry's getting annoyed and Kramer is asking all these uh, Miss America questions. I'm um, yeah, but he's really doing it for her. And does she not have a coach? Was she like uh, was she, you know, like the Pete Rose? She was like the coach and the manager before. <laughs> yeah. Before Kramer comes along. I don't know if she has a consultant. It sort of starts where Kramer in this scene seems to be giving her good advice but by the time that she hires kramer to be her personal consultant it's almost as if kramer is completely out of ideas and is only giving her bad advice and is somewhat abusive and bullying towards her right because he's not actually an expert like there are people who are an expert uh sort of in this scene in, you know in this world 
But Kramer's just seen it has like it's like if you hired me to coach an NFL team, mm-hmm. like I would have two or three really good ideas. But then after about a week, you'd realize that the emperor has no clothes. <laughs> yeah, that might be what it's like. A little bit like George Costanza working for the Yankees. Well, he has no good idea. <laughs> well, the first day, like when he met with George Steinbrenner, like he was impressive in the meeting where George Steinbrenner's like, hire this man. So that's sort of like what happens with Kramer here, where he makes such a good impression on this Rhode Island that she wants to hire him. But then behind closed doors, she sees that the emperor does have no clothes. Uh, yeah. And I, I also think with Kramer, you know, he's like... I, like, is he in love with Mr. Allen? That's not clear. No, I don't think so. I don't think that this is where Kramer is a bad friend and he's the one who's trying to date her. I don't think that he has any romantic desire for Miss Rhode Island, which is unusual for Kramer. But Jerry is the one who is the lascivious one who seems to want to just defile Miss Rhode Island, where Kramer does seem invested in this dream of making her Miss America. Yeah, I guess that his goal is just for her to win. Yeah, he'd like to see her win so that he could be part of this. He's followed this his whole career. Now, Kramer keeps talking about poise, which I thought was an interesting parallel to earlier in the episode where there's all this talk about grace. Is this intentional or unintentional on the parts of the writers? I think it's intentional. I think it's all like sort of tying together in a weird way. But they never actually tie it together. No, they don't tie it together. I mean, at the end, when she's singing poorly, you know, he keeps saying poise, poise, but it doesn't tie together. But it is a little bit like... uh, you know, grace is that de- you definitely need grace to be, uh, you know, in Miss America winner. Yeah. And so the talent of Miss Rhode Island is magic. And Kramer asks her, what number am I thinking of? And uh, she says five. It turns out it was six. Kramer's still impressed because it was close. Yeah. Only missed by one. Yeah. She's a real Kelly Wigglesworth. Yeah. I do think like that's not magic, though. No, that's again, like being the mentalist. Right. Like, say, steal my wallet. That's magic. <laughs> So Jerry ends up like excusing himself to walk past the bar and he ends up hearing the announcers on the Yankee game talking about how they were wearing the cotton uniforms tonight. Uh, And this bar is clearly the bar from the fire, right? Is it the bar from the fire? You know, where he's coming in and, and and the guy's got the water pistol gun. Oh, it's the bar of the comedy club. Yeah. Yeah. It does look a lot like that, but it is certainly not supposed to be the bar where they go to in the comedy club. It's the same set. It's probably just dressed differently. Yeah, yeah, it is definitely the same. There's always a Wizard of Oz poster up in the back when it's supposed to be the bar at the comedy club. Oh, okay, that's a good thing to look out for. Yeah. So they go back into the limo and she's talking about what dress she's going to wear. Kramer says she needs to wear a green dress, not a red dress. She ends up totally ignoring Jerry. She wants to hire Kramer to be the personal consultant. And so Kramer is on board. And then when Jerry goes to give her a kiss goodnight, Kramer sort of is a blocker about that. I also, you know, another thing I'm thinking about, like, she's totally alone. Like, she doesn't have a coach, doesn't have any family there. This is such like a TV and movie trope where, like, the beautiful woman has no friends and is all by themselves and is, like, waiting for you to save them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Like, in real life, like, she had to get through, like, the local pageant and then probably the county and then you have to win... You know, your state, like I'm sure she's got 20 people who are, you know, have a piece of that. Yeah, she'd already have like a stage mom and like, so it'd be like a, some sort of boyfriend in the mix and like a bunch of, bunch of hanger ons. Yeah. There'd be like a honey boo boo person. It, mm-hmm. would be, it would be ridiculous. <laughs> okay. So then uh, there's a funny moment where then Jerry and Kramer are going home. And so uh, Jerry ends up telling Kramer to uh, shut the horn honk up. 
Yeah, it's like an unusual scene for Seinfeld, but it's funny. Yeah, it is funny. All right, so we end up with uh, Jerry and Kramer the next day. Kramer comes in. Jerry gives Kramer, oh, if it isn't Mr. Blackwell. Uh, Yeah, I feel like we've discussed Mr. Blackwell before. Yeah. I think he died recently. (laughs) He's on the alternate side, Mr. Blackwell, and looking fabulous as usual. And so... Well, uh, I don't think his thing was that he looked fabulous. I think he just decided... Uh, who who's the best look? You know who's who are the best dressed people? Right, he was doing the like Joan Rivers fashion police before it was Joan Rivers fashion police. Yeah, I don't think you need to. I don't think you need to be the best dressed guy to do that column. Yeah, Joan Rivers wasn't like you know the best dressed person. She was just how dare you? How dare I mean, you? I mean, she might have been, but that wasn't her thing. So Kramer is accusing Jerry at this point because he feels like Jerry is poo pooing Miss Rhode Island. That he is uh, saying that he is not invested in the success of Miss Rhode Island. Yeah, but at this point, he's like 90% out of it, Jerry, also. He doesn't care. Yeah. And so Jerry does not care. He does not really want to see Miss Rhode Island win. If she did, it would be like a nice thing. But since he's not even actually dating her, he really couldn't care less at this point. No, and knowing Jerry, he was such a narcissist, he probably is rooting against her. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so George comes in and he is pumped up about how well the cotton uniforms went. Yeah, I mean, the reviews are in and they are rave reviews. (laughs) Rave reviews all across the board. Uh, Here's what George ends up pulling from the newspaper. He says that Wade Boggs said, what a fabric. Finally, we can breathe. Cotton is king. (laughs) Yes, that was from Luis Polonia. Yeah, I mean, who who would have thought that Luis Polonia would get a Seinfeld reference? (laughs) And Paul O'Neill was quoted as saying, I have never dreamed anything could be so soft and fluffy. This is a slow news day that they're writing an article about the uniforms. <laughs> yeah, really a lot of coverage about the uniforms here uh, for the Yankees. So George is really the king of the Yankees at this point. I mean, it's, a, you know, he's really working towards becoming like the general manager. He's or on at least way. the traveling secretary. So George is now going to be coming down to Atlantic City with Jerry and Kramer and they say, too bad Elaine can't go. So they try to go call Elaine, but she is with Mr. Pitt. Yeah, I mean, I've, we've all been there before. Not you, probably, because, you know, you were your own boss. I've Maybe. been there. Well, not, <laughs> for, no, for the record, uh, you know, my wife is the boss. And I often uh, am not allowed to go places that I want to go. If, but I, this is like, you know, this does ring true for sure that, like, your friends are going somewhere. You know, like, can I go? But, you know, you can't go. Yes. Uh, this problem, and that's usually your wife saying you can't go. It's not your job or something. Well, I mean, often I have commitments for work stuff, but like there's like a recently I was invited to go and see the new Star Wars movie with uh, Josh Wiggler and Stephen Fishback. We're going one day, and you need an excuse not to go. You're saying no. I wanted to. I wanted to go, but it was All the right. kind of thing I'm where like if I told my wife that I was going to be leaving the house for three hours to go watch a movie. It was just going to make her head explode. Couldn't you say you're podcasting about it? Mm, I could have. I, you know, I didn't even really engage with her on. I just knew it was going to be a, a whole big thing. Yeah. I, you know, that's you have a baby that's like a little different. But uh, yeah, no, it's been, you know, I've been there. But now I just go. Now I stop caring. I just go. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> so. the move. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about buying the socks. So we end up then with Mr. Pitt shutting it down. Elaine, Elaine can't go. Um, do you really enjoy the Mr. Pitt and the sock storyline? No, no, definitely not. Yeah. Not going to get an A plus. Probably funny ish more than it's funny. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's nothing wrong with it, but, uh, it, we definitely didn't need another scene of it. 
Which there is a deleted scene that they cut out. Yeah. So Kramer is with uh, Miss Rhode Island and he's working with uh, the posture of Miss Rhode Island. And then he's asking her a kind of a crazy question, which maybe sort of muddies the waters in terms of what does Kramer want here? He asks her the question that if we were on the heels of some sort of like military conflict with the Soviet Union, would she be willing to sleep with the Russian chancellor to prevent some sort of nuclear war? Well, he doesn't say Russia, does he? You know, that's a bad job on my part. I assumed in 1994 the other nuclear superpower that he was referencing was the Soviet Union. I mean, Union. I guess it could be, yeah. Yeah, like I wouldn't imagine that we we're about to... What about to, like now, like North Korea? Like I guess now, unfortunately, it could be a, a much muddier <laughs> situation. Unfortunately, let's not get political. Nuclear weapons are great. <laughs> <laughs> wow, another hot take from Akira. No, I don't, I'm not pro-nuclear weapons. Wait, but... But let's say it was like Kim Jong-un. Like, would she sleep with Kim Jong-un to, to like, save the world? To save the world. Again, I, you she negotiate. Really no to that. Well, you can't negotiate with terrorists, Akiva. I mean, it's true. Kim but- Jong-un could defile our own Miss Rhode Island and then very still well launch a weapon against us. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, there's no reason to believe that. Unless we send her in as like a sleeper cell, like secret agent type thing. Right. So again, let's not even talk of it. Like this is the kind of thing that's going to get Seth Rogen and, uh, you know, a company in trouble to be even talking and joking about. Yeah, we're going to get hacked. <laughs> I don't want to get hacked. So they, a, they never found that who did that, though. Yeah. Well, let's not. That's not our place to wonder about that. Yeah, we're, we're more worried about getting Shkreli on still. <laughs> All right. So yeah, Kramer is asking like, this is kind of an offensive question that he's asking her. It is a crazy question. And I think she knows here that like, this is, oh, that, you know, cause the previous questions he asked her, you know, like, what would you do about world hunger are reasonable questions that they ask this question. They would never ask on the pageant. It's G rated. Yeah. And Kramer is still continuing to beat that poise drum uh, with her as well. I mean, she does need more poise. <laughs> she does. We all do. Yeah, all right. Use a little poise. All right. So uh, we go back and we see that George has won $50 at the roulette table. So look at George. He's continuing his hot streak. Even when Jerry asked him to come to AC and he's like, oh, what the hell? I'll come. It's a little bit of the opposite mode. George still there. Yeah. Meanwhile, Elaine is still down while George is up because uh, she cannot find the right pair of white socks for Mr. Pitt. Yeah, you know, Ray, Elaine is really on a cold streak the last bunch of episodes. <laughs> she really has been. So we go to now the hotel room at nighttime. Jerry and George are sharing a room. Now, again, we saw Jerry and George share a hotel room back in the season four premiere. Was season four premiere back in the trip? When yeah. uh, they're going to and George is going to dress by his mood. And uh, we have the whole tuck untuck conversation. Jerry and George sharing a hotel room here. Does this ring true to you, Akiva? The thing is that he gets J- Jerry is performing at, an, at a casino. So first of all, his room should be much nicer if you think about it. Mm-hmm. Like they probably give the performer for that casino the nicest or one of the few nicest rooms. Um, but it is comp. So why would George pay for his own room if this room is already free? But why is Jerry okay with George getting his own? I mean, George is making good money now. I think that George could afford a hotel room. I mean, I think that if anything, Jerry is getting the free hotel room, uh, would probably want to, he'd be incentivized to have George get his own room. He would even pay for George to have his own room. So if this is you, yeah. Are you making your friend get their own hotel room? If I am single, successful, 
stand-up comedian in Atlantic City. No, you're not City. single. You're you're you. I'm me. But you, you, you. Yes, you're you. This is well. Then, then this totally changes the scenario. Why does it change it? Because Jerry is the guy who is the bachelor who is out there trying to uh, meet as many women oh, as possible. Oh, but he knows possible. nothing's happening. His girlfriend's downstairs. It's not his girlfriend. He went on one yeah, day with he her. Can, like he's, he just dated. Like what? Nothing's happening tonight. He could always get George a room if he needs, like, if he meets a girl, but that's already not happened at this point. Even if, what if he could get Miss Rhode Island away from Kramer? That doesn't he want to have his own base of operations? He need George crashing well, there Well, he could also? send George down to her place, and I then guess George so. and Kramer could bunk up there. I mean, the, the idea would be to not tip Kramer off. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's true. You'd need a third room, but he could go pay for a third room then. Yeah. I don't know. It's Why, do you think you're past the point of... Having a hotel roommate? I Well, I think I have a different uh, set of moral obligations, I think, than Jerry had. Oh, okay. So you're so you're asking just because in case he brings a lady back to his Right, apartment. right. I feel like having George there in the other double bed is probably going to be, again, a bit of a blocker. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a uh, you know, it's a buzzkill. Yeah, I think so. Again, Jerry's performing a show down there. You got to think that there's got to be some groupies, right? Oh, no, you can't. You can't date your groupies. That's a disaster. <laughs> you said anything about dating. That's, that's when bad things start happening. <laughs> Rob, never date your groupies. <laughs> well, anyway, so it is funny, though, that George and Jerry are in the room together and they hear these birds. And so Jerry ends up getting the ice bucket. He dumps it out. It is not the ALS challenge uh, for these birds. And it does quiet them down. Yeah. Whatever. You remember that ice bucket challenge? That I remember fun. it. Yeah. Can you imagine if someone did that like now? <laughs> Just like post on Facebook today. Like if he did that. I'm doing that. And then people would make fun of you, even though it's still for charity. Yeah, if you did the ice bucket challenge now, <laughs> you'd get like abused for doing it. Mm. I'm going to start the uh, scalding hot water challenge. That's something. Well, you're going to you're going to dump it on yourself, though, or on somebody else? No, you dump it on yourself. And but what's the cause? <laughs> uh burn victims because no one's going to want to be associated with that yeah i guess so i guess so we'll work on it. we'll workshop that we'll workshop it so we end up then uh having them go back to sleep they have like the laurel and hardy sort of joke uh good night stan good night uh laurel and so the next day kramer realizes uh with miss rhode island that her doves are dead and it's but we didn't even like see the doves. We haven't heard anything about the doves till right now. Yeah, it's kind of a dark thing that ends up happening. The doves are dead. She thinks somebody has murdered the doves, and now Kramer is going to be launching an investigation. And I believe that Kramer initially thinks that maybe one of the fellow competitors might have done this. A bit of a Tanya Harding thing against Miss Rhode Island. Yeah, I think that the the uh, yeah yeah, but Jer- Jerry here ends up being the Jeff Galuli. <laughs> but I think I, I do think that. Um, you know, if someone is killing her doves, that probably means that he was wrong. That she is a contender. Maybe because nobody, like, if she's supposed to come in thirty eighth, nobody's going after her. You know, her magic trick. Nobody cares. Yeah. So Kramer comes up and he's making a lot of accusations against Jerry that maybe Jerry couldn't handle her success. But ultimately, Jerry just doesn't care. No, Jerry doesn't care. George cares even less when he's in the room. It's great. Yeah. But yeah, it was an accident. What are you going to do? It's kind of her fault. Like, the doves could have flown away. I mean, I guess they were in a cage. But, like, they could have frozen to death at night. Yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of things could have happened. Could have like, been a little bit of a the, nip in the air. Sure. Don't don't leave the doves. Or, you know, the cage could have busted open. They could have flown away. Like, the don't leave the doves on the hotel balcony. That's ridiculous. All right. So, then we see Miss Rhode Island getting ready. She needs to do a makeshift talent. 
uh, Kramer talks her into singing. I mean, if you had to do, if I if I said you're in a pageant tonight, what would your makeshift talent be? Boy, it's uh, hard to come up with something on the spot. I guess it would be hard to come up with something on the spot. Could I guess. you do a five minute comedy set on the spot? I don't think so. I think give me the give me the song. Give me the song at that point. <laughs> okay, you have to sing. By tonight, mm-hmm. you you have to sing uh, "Born This Way" by Lady Gaga, but not for anything. The entire magic act was all doves. Like it feels like that seems like more like one trick than the entire act. I mean, it's a fair point. Like, why couldn't she just do more like, magic? Is, does she not know any other magic tricks? But she's been training with the doves for eight years, right? But she only has five minutes of magic. Like, I feel like there's got to be some other magic tricks. Like, can she go into the B magic, the C magic tricks? But the doves just died. Like, her heart is, she's like Jerry now. Like, her heart's not in it. Like, this is, she doesn't want to think about magic. Like, she doesn't have any replacement level card tricks she can do, make a coin disappear. I mean, you're going to win Miss America with a coin trick? I think at the point where you're singing a song when you've never sung before. She's never sung before. What if? She's one of these like undiscovered talents and like the, everyone on the voice is like turning the chair around for her. I mean, I think for the most part, people know if they're a good singer or not. I mean, I guess. Are you a good the, singer? I think that it, the, with the right song, I think I could be an okay singer. I See, guess everyone thinks they're a good singer. That the American Idol auditions sort of support the fact that maybe uh, people are think they're good singers and they're actually not. But she doesn't really think seem to think that she's a good singer there was this show on the on the wb back before it was the cw mm-hmm. which was like american idol but the people were terrible do you remember this yeah and like and they all thought they were good but really like the worse you were then like the better chance you had to advance like a sanjaya thing yeah do you remember that i, I mean i do was, they got in trouble because like the problem was it was a live show in front of the i don't know if it was live but it was in front of the audience and they would tell the crowd that they were like either special needs or that they were people with cancer. Cause like how, why else would they go crazy and cheer for people who were awful? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm shocked that show, it would have been a fun show for you to podcast about back in the day. <laughs> oh, sure. But I am shocked that show only got one season. I don't remember the name of it. <laughs> All right. So she goes out there and we see her performance and uh, it is not good. The one thing that I do notice though, that I'm pretty sure that the person that's hosting this I'm pretty confident that the voice of it is Regis Philbin. Okay, it's very weird. It sounds a lot like Regis. I didn't I didn't really do much checking to see if it was Regis. I didn't see any notes anywhere that it's Regis. But it also sounds like Larry doing Regis, but it's like if Larry's doing Regis, he does an unbelievable Regis. Yeah, I mean, it really did seem like that was the case. So I wonder if it, is it like archival footage of Yeah, that's what I was thinking that it could be archival footage. Yeah. So I'm just looking up Miss America in 1994. The presenters are Regis and Kathy Lee. So Yeah, and you know, now that I uh I'm looking at the full credits, uh Regis and Bob Shepard were uncredited, but on IMDb they're listed. Okay. And so Yeah, I it, think they used they used his voice from like the previous year's pageant or something. Cuz all he says is like up next is Miss, Te- Miss Texas or something. I mean, wasn't this a gr- huge missed opportunity where, you know, we just had in the previous episode Regis Philbin where if you could get him again and then he goes backstage and runs into Kramer again, but you I don't mean, just get Regis every day. You're not flying Regis out to California. <laughs> I mean, could you fly Michael Richards to New York? I mean, Regis is a tough guy to get. 
It's the first episode of the season. Does Regis need more money? No, he doesn't need more money. I mean, Regis goes to anything. I mean, now because he's unemployed. <laughs> peak Regis is still seven years away. No, he's still he's in peak Regis. No, peak Regis is who wants to be a millionaire Regis, which is going to yeah, start. Okay, but he's 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 a huge at this point. Regis. He's I mean, he's, do you he's think, spent the most time on television. This is the number one show ever. on television. We can't get Regis. He already was in the last episode. It wasn't that type of show. Like they didn't use, they weren't like friends, which by the way, it's, I guess now is as good a time as any. It's worth pointing out that this season finale airs the same night as the uh, Friends premiere. The Friends season premiere, premiere, yeah. Series, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think um, they didn't use like, I mean, they got Keith Hernandez early. Like if you think about it, Friends did a lot of stunt casting. We're going to get mm-hmm. these massive celebrities and we're going to promote it for an episode or two in the, on the commercials. Seinfeld didn't do that. I'm just like, saying. It's almost uh you know they they sort of underwhelmed in terms of like we're not going after these big celebrities we're going to keep it contained to this world it just seems like a missed opportunity where we had an interaction between kramer and regis on the last episode this episode kramer is backstage where you're using the voice of regis like shouldn't you have regis walk in like a you again you're Boncos. Yeah, but I think he didn't like that. Didn't you know? People said that he didn't like doing that scene because he thought he was like the joke was on him. Well, maybe after Kramer kissed Kathy Lee Gifford on the mouth, maybe Regis was like, uh, "I'm out." Yeah, I'm out, baby. Uh, by the way, the name of the show, and that's my final answer. The name of the show was uh, Superstar USA. <laughs> it, that was the fake American Idol. Uh, the winner does not have a Wikipedia page, so I don't I don't know how big he made it. Akiva, are you starting to buy more into that Michael Richards kissed Kathy Lee Gifford on the mouth against her wishes? Yeah, I, I think there is a chance that like, you know, that was hushed up pretty quickly. Like she does, you know, she has no uh, there's nothing in it for her. Like she doesn't want Frank finding out he's going to come kill Michael Richards at that point. Like, so okay. I, I, I do think that it's possible that he I don't know if he improved it, but he may have gone a little too far. So when we land the elusive Kathy Lee Gifford interview, that is first question without a doubt. Well, I think you start with like House Hoda <laughs> and then you go for that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. OK. I mean, I, could we get a Regis interview at this point? No, you definitely couldn't. Regis doesn't do podcasts. He doesn't do anything. Yeah, because he's counting his money all day. He's rich. <laughs> he lives in the same building with Robbie. <laughs> All right. So then uh, we end up with uh, George and Jerry watching this and uh, Jerry is watching Miss Rhode Island perform and he gives us one of the famous Seinfeld lines. That's a shame. That's a shame. Uh, Yeah, this is the first that's a shame. Is it the first that's a shame? I was trying to track this. Yes, it is the first that's a shame. Okay. I thought that there might have been one in the episode with the Mimbo. No. And 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 uh, I guess fun historical fact is George says it first, of course, and then Jerry says it later. Okay. George says it first. Then we switch over to the Yankee game, and we see that the Yankees are playing in shrunken uniforms. Maddenly split his pants. Yeah, Maddenly split his pants. And uh, Jerry ends up saying, uh, that's a shame. And we cut back to Kramer for the last line of, poise, poise. It's funny because, like, she is i wonder if she was just naturally a bad singer or if she's singing poorly on purpose but like she's really bad but she's also like not bad enough for it to be like william hung bad you know yeah she's badish she's badish yeah, yeah. is she in anything else this woman she looks familiar well uh the uh miss rhode island yeah yeah okay so her name is marguerite mcintyre uh and she has uh, a pretty good career going she's on the vampire diaries which i can't imagine you've ever seen whoa and if you have please don't uh admit it okay uh but she has she had you know she was on uh two guys a girl in a pizza place 
maybe before that became uh, just two guys and a girl. Okay. Um, she has a real career. But the thing I love most about her is, you know, I love to search on Twitter, see what they're up to. She's verified. Whoa. But, um, but uh, you know what her Twitter name is? What's that? Miss Rhode Island? Uh, no, it's not Miss Rhode Island. She doesn't seem to t- do much talking about Seinfeld on there. It's, uh, with, with the people who are on Seinfeld, it's all like retweeting every time that somebody says it to you or never mentioning it once. I think she's in the never mentions Never one. mentions it. Uh, yeah. So Marguerite McIntyre's uh, name on Twitter is Carrie's Hot Wife. Carrie's Hot Wife. Why? Who's she At married Carrie, to? And she's verified. Carrie McIntyre? Uh, well, no, because her name was McIntyre then. Carrie Lalonde. <laughs> okay. Wow. She says, eight years in and I still have the worst crush. Happy anniversary, Carrie Lalonde. Yeah. Uh, well, could you imagine? First of all, she's calling herself hot in the... In the and she's a very attractive woman. Yeah, but like she's calling herself hot in her Twitter uh, yeah. name. That's like a pretty, you know what I mean? Well, I wonder if Carrie Lalonde has like some great story, like Andrew Savage about how he met his wife. Yeah, I, I do think. First of all, think about like what Carrie Lalonde has going for him. Like, could you imagine? And you know, Carrie Lalonde only has eighty three Twitter followers, by the way. Yeah, uh, and by by the way, because I've seen people do this before, don't start tweeting at Carrie Lalonde. Yeah. <laughs> Because I saw that with the with the bad comedian. Don't do that, guys. Yeah. Um, but I think um could you imagine like could you imagine if your if your wife changed her Twitter name to Rob's hot wife? Wow. Yeah. Like that's because one, it's complimenting her, but it's it's also like, you know, n- nobody likes me enough to do that. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like a compliment to you almost, like I'm Rob's wife. But no, nobody's <laughs> ever doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it would, it would be like my husband is a moron you know if that fits <laughs> i think carrie lalonde is a camera guy camera person works on like a, a lot of big movies so. yeah and he lands uh he lands so uh, he must be doing pretty good he's doing well for himself yeah. marguerite mcintyre mr rhode island mr rhode island okay all right and then our final piece of stand-up uh jerry uh i guess probably in hindsight uh, a bit uh misogynistic talking about the only thing that matters for these pageants is the bathing suit competition says everybody looks good in an evening gown because it covers up so much stuff if you got married in a wedding dress he thinks there'd be a lot more people leaving the weddings or objecting to the union i mean it's a fair point like the evening gown is stupid (laughs) nobody's turning in just to check out the evening gown stuff i think that the evening gown i'm sure that there are some people who find it to be elegant i mean that who's the audience do you think for the miss universe or miss usa pageant I kind of feel like it's probably more women watching the show than guys that are like trying to get a gawk at the swimsuits, right? Yeah, I feel like nowadays you can do better than that contest. Right. So, uh, yeah, no, I do think it's it, the, if I had to guess, the viewership's at least 60% female. Right. So I think that there probably is a bit of admiring the evening gowns going on. Right. But uh, yeah, I do. Th- right. No guy is like, ooh, the evening gowns. I'm <laughs> staying around for this. Right. Okay. So, Akiva, let's talk yeah. about updating this from 1994 to 2015. Anything that does not ring true to you? Well, they announced, you know, they didn't announce a winner, but I assume they can around announce the correct winner. <laughs> yes, I think so. Well, again, Regis would not make such a mistake like Steve no, Harvey. No, please. Regis is reading the card. Regis is showing up for rehearsals. Mm-hmm. He's not pulling a Harvey. Yeah. All right. So I think we got all of that right in terms of anything with uh, Mr. Pitt feel like uh could you buy socks online anywhere bombas maybe could that have uh solved mr pitt's problems yeah he could have bombas were just gone to amazon and you know you buy a bunch and then you return whatever doesn't work Mm -hmm. so i you know i don't know if that's i don't know uh if that's really holding up trying to think with the uniforms 
I feel like there's a lot of like science in the uniforms now. They're just not listening to the assistant of the traveling secretary's opinion. Yeah. So I guess everything else uh, seems like it holds up. What about an episode ranking for this? Okay. So to me, there's nothing bad about this episode really inherently, you know, like terrible. Uh, there are some things that are, you know, the, the, the polyester cotton stuff was more memorable sort of as an idea that it actually happens. The Miss Universe stuff is funny. It's kind of interesting. It gets a little morbid, you know, kind of for no reason. So I have this as a slightly below average episode, and I'm going to put it at uh, number 109. Okay. I can't really fight you on that. I think it's probably a sluggish start out of the gate here for season six. Yeah, season six is is interesting because if you look down the list, like there's no contest or soup Nazi or anything like that. But, you know, there, this is one of the weaker episodes. Like, there really aren't any duds in season six. It's pretty consistent the whole okay. way. You want to grade out everybody in this episode? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Uh, why don't we start with Jerry dating uh, Miss Rhode Island? Um, you know, it's, it, I'll give it a B plus. There's things that work. Overall, there's no home runs hit. So I'll give it a B. Okay. B plus. Uh, I'd say probably a B. I don't think there's that much going on there. What about Kramer with Miss Rhode Island? I mean, I, the idea of like Kramer is this like super expert is pretty funny. Uh, that he knows everything. The backstage stuff, nothing really happens. Like, they could have punched that up a little more. Mm-hmm. So I'll give that a B also. Yeah. What about George with the uniforms? Yeah, that's very funny. I mean, there's not so, like, there's only a couple short scenes. But I think the first time you see it, like, the fact that he's, like, impacting this actual team that exists in real life was, you know, considered, you know, pretty uh, sort of interesting. So I give that an A-. Yeah, I think that's a fair grade as well. And then uh, what about Elaine with Mr. Pitt? Yeah, I give that a C. Uh, it was fine. Like, it advances the story for the rest of the season, but yeah, nothing really funny there. It's more like laying the track down than ultimately uh, anything that's uh, hilarious. Yeah, the, the, the scene with her um, at the... The scene with her at the uh, job interview is funnier than the Mr. Pitt stuff. Yeah. All right, so then uh, let's get into taking some emails here. First email segment of season six, Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. And uh, why don't we start off here with uh, Johnny DeSilvera. And uh, Johnny says uh, that uh, though this was set at Yankee Stadium for this episode, the scenes with the Yankees was filmed at Angel Stadium. So you were correct about that. Yeah, they, yeah, when the Yankees came to town, uh, you know, they knew that their vacation was about to start in a week. So they uh, they hung out with the Seinfeld crew and filmed these scenes. Also, Johnny Severa says that the original title of The Chaperone was supposed to be The Birds. Better or worse name, Akiva? Well, it's spoil. We don't know about The Birds till like 15, 16 minutes in. And it spoils the ending. So you can't really call it that. Yeah. Okay. Johnny has a really good question. He wants to know, instead of dumping water on Miss Rhode Island's birds, why didn't Jerry just close the glass door to the balcony? I mean, these people are evil. <laughs> Yeah, what was the problem? I mean, typically you go to these rooms and they have like the air conditioning blasting. Was it too cold in the room? Uh, I mean, I'm not sure what's going on. I mean, we say it's the summer. How cold could it be? Yeah, I guess the AC is really pumping. But I don't know. I mean, yeah, obviously he had a lot of options besides dumping the cold water with the ice on the on the ducts. But it's what he chose. All right. And one more email from Chester. Chester wants to know, was the chaperone really part of the beauty pageant rules? What do you think? Did yeah. Miss Rhode Island make it up? Or, or is he asking in terms of the, in the actual 1994 rules? I think he's asking for the rules. I, the little bit of Googling I did, I think that after you win, it's like with the Stanley Cup. Like you have someone come around with you. So if you win, you have someone come around with you for that year who looks after you. Yeah. You get like, you get like a, a, you know, an Elaine, a personal assistant. I don't know if, if all 50 contestants have a chaperone. And then 
Chester wants to know, as soon as Kramer tells Jerry he's going to be a blocker, why doesn't Jerry dump him and find another chaperone? Certainly, uh, George wouldn't turn down a free dinner. Yeah, I'm not sure why George can't be the chaperone. We don't really know the chaperone rules. They're a little strange, but it it does make sense that, uh, you know, he sees that Kramer's going to be a disaster. Doesn't make sense. The problem is, who is desperate and pathetic enough to be a chaperone? Are chaperones paid? Like, we don't even find that out. Hmm. It's a great point. I don't know. Hopefully somebody who's a pageant correspondent can weigh in and let us know what's going on. Oh, yeah. We really need a pageant correspondent. All right. Akiva, what's the hashtag? Uh, Would you say tartable-ish? Tartable-esque? I like tartable-ish more because, like, it's a real word. (laughs) Okay. That sounds good. Tartable-ish. And, of course, that can refer to either uh, being like Danny Tartable uh, in terms of your batting or in terms of your defunct child support payments. Yeah, if somebody has a lead on Tartable, then maybe uh, don't don't like tweet it. You know, you got to like DM that because we want to, you know, save that for the uh, eventual podcast uh, about Tartable. Yeah, I'm curious where he is now. Tartable is going to be the working title of our podcast. I mean, but but we're we going to have a serial problem. Like what happens when we get past Tartable? Hmm. Are we going to have to rename the podcast or we're going to be doing number season number two? about some other story and it's still called Tartable-ish and it makes no sense. We have to explain it every time. Hmm. All right. Well, we should research that. We'll get into uh, all of it. Maybe um, something something like uh, Tartable crap. Okay. I mean, but why does Tartable have to be in the name of the podcast? <laughs> I feel like well, it's going to be uh, really get people talking. What would you call it then? Sports cereal, I think, is going to get you know into some dicey legal territory. Yeah, I think we get, I think we get a cease and desist on sports cereal. Yeah. Hmm. I don't okay. know. If someone has a fine. If someone has an idea for that, let us know. All right, let us know. Go ahead and post your comments on postshowrecaps.com. We always love to hear from you guys. You can also subscribe to the podcast or leave us comments on iTunes if you go to postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes, or uh you could search for our Seinfeld post show recap in the iTunes store or on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much to Mike Moore for the outstanding recaps and to Scott St. Pierre who edits the show. Every single week. Until next time, Akiva, what are we covering next week? The Big Salad. Oh, I love The Big Salad. Love The Big Salad. I love Reggie's. Can't wait to talk about all that next week with you guys as we talk about Season 6, Episode 2 on the Seinfeld Recap Podcast. You can follow Akiva on Twitter. He's at Keeve26. I'm at Rob Sestrino. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.